Good morning, everyone. We are excited to have all of you here today, and we are especially excited to have Dr. Brian Benham with us. Uh, Dr. Benham comes to us most recently from uh, the Virginia Tech Institution at Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, he actually started his work at the University of Tennessee, excuse me, Texas A&M, where he got his bachelor's and MS, and then went to the University of Tennessee for a PhD. He actually spent some time here in Nebraska as assistant professor and extension specialist out at the Clay Center, Research and Extension Center, and then moved from there to Virginia Tech and has spent his career since 2001 at Blacksburg, moving through the ranks of assistant associate and now full professor in research and extension. Um, he has had a numerous amount of graduate students, numerous publications, he has also had grant money uh, hitting the $3 million range. And so we are excited to have him on campus for the position of the Associate Director of Nebraska Extension. And without further ado, Dr. Brian Bannon. Thank you very much. So we can just go to questions. She covered the whole seminar. <laughs> That's not true. So uh, uh, we're going to talk today sort of about a vision. I think sometimes that's arrogant to come in and say, well, this is the vision when you don't know what's going on. So a concept of some ideas that I have, and then maybe we could talk about how those might be applied here in Nebraska. So just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm married to the lovely and gracious Karen Scalf Benham up here in the upper right corner. That actually is Lake McConaughey. Uh, we love to travel. That's a picture in the middle there in, in Morocco in the Atlas Mountains. Uh, the far left there is uh, Nepal. I was very fortunate to be in Nepal the first two weeks of this year. Uh, led a group of students on a student learning trip, uh, uh, trying to figure out how we can do some engineering work in, in Nepal and help them. We actually came back to an irrigation, kind of full circle, an irrigation system that we're going to work with to help them uh, with their uh, cash crop, which is apples, uh, in this small village. Uh, these are my compatriots. We go backpacking every, once, uh, every year, hopefully. And then I also uh, ride motorcycles. And this is a trip we had a couple of years ago in Colorado. 35 mountain passes in nine days. You can, you can do that in Colorado. So. Uh, as, uh, as Dr. Lodo said, I was born in Texas, raised in Amarillo, Texas. The golden spread, as we like to call it, where trees are planted as they're supposed to be. You know, they just don't happen naturally. That's the whole issue there. Um, I went, got two degrees in uh, ag engineering back in the day at Texas A&M, um, and then uh, went to the University of Tennessee for my PhD, worked with uh, Dr. Roland Mote on some things related to uh, dairy wastewater treatment, uh, and then uh, came to University of Nebraska in 1996, worked with some of the fellows here in the crowd for, uh, for several years, really enjoyed the time, uh, but then for personal reasons, uh, we left uh, and went to Virginia Tech in 2001, uh, and have been there ever since, as, as Dr. Lodel said. So uh, kind of the, I guess the, the first question to come up is why am I interested in this position? Uh, I, I'm seeking an opportunity to, to challenge myself as it says there. I, I really love what I do now. It's not like I'm dying to change what I'm doing, but, but I've, seen, I've been exposed through a couple of different opportunities to see some, some opportunities to work in administration and extension is kind of where my, I've always been in my professional career and I think moving forward with and, and doing some different things in extension to help. Uh, advanced extension and how we work in extension, I think that's my interest there. Uh, an opportunity to work in a state where ag and natural resources are more valued, that, that said valued till last night when I said more valued. They're certainly valued in Virginia, even though uh, ag is still the number one, number one industry in Virginia, you wouldn't know it. 
uh, to talk to people outside of Virginia. You know, it's defense or it's government or whatever. So being back in a state where ag is, is, is more the focus, especially in this kind of position, is isn't is of interest to me. And then a team, a committed team. I've had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Hibbert a couple of times already, and, and um, I think team is kind of goes through my career. I was at a team at, at uh, South Central. We, we have a team that I work with, and the teams that I work with at Virginia, are very, Virginia Tech are very important to me, but, and it sounds like there's a team atmosphere here in administration, and that, that's, that's very important to me as well. I think the challenge with this position, the challenge that it faces extension anywhere, is this idea to implement a new vision of how extension works to meet the needs of our clientele. Uh, we've got to change to, to be viable in the future. So the vision, this is the part where we talk conceptually and because I'm not exactly sure how things work in Nebraska yet, but um, you know, I, I think my vision is, is a system-based educational approach. And by systems, I mean we, we, we look at, at problems, issues, maybe don't call them problems, but issues, but you look at it from a, a variety of different perspectives. Um, we're talking about food, energy, water nexus in Virginia. Well, I mean, yeah, we all eat, drink, and use energy, but <clears throat> so you have to think about the system that you're going to work with, the bounds that you're going to work in, and how you're going to approach that. And then I think once you define that in that system, you can have systems that are a variety of different scales, but once you define that, then you can uh, 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 define an approach on how you move forward with that and the kinds of folks you need to work with to, to address those issues. And that's where the next point comes in. These issue-based transdisciplinary teams, that's all very sort of uh, 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 buzzwordish, but, 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 it, but, it, but I think it, it, really, it really means something. The issue-based, we have to, you know, it's not just we're doing X, Y program to serve this audience. Are we really addressing an issue that that audience is dealing with? And then the transdisciplinary, you know, a lot of times folks talk about multidisciplinary, and that certainly can mean the same thing, but... Transdisciplinary is where you just don't have the same people from different disciplines in the room. You're actually from different disciplines, but you're working and talking about how to address that issue. That's the transdisciplinary aspect that I, I see working in this. And then this supported by a culture that defines and documents collective impact. Collective impact is a, it's kind of a buzzword too. But this is the buzzword slide if you're interested in the presentation. But, but the idea is that you know, we, we all look at impacts from our programs, or hopefully we're looking at impacts from our programs, but, but we may not look at how those impacts affect that broader issue collectively, or the, the greater good, the sum of the parts. And that's what that means. And, and, and I think to make that happen, you have to have a culture that supports that. And that's where you get to the next part of the slide, talking about how. Uh, and this is from the sort of the collective impact literature that's out there. You talk about a common agenda. So you're an understanding that folks are working on this issue, right? And, and, and they're working on this issue or this problem to, to move the scale. So that's a common, you, you have to have a conversation to come up with that common agenda, first of all. Shared measures, the idea that they were working together to move the, 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 yardstick, the yardstick a given point. You've got to talk about how, what those metrics are and what that measure of success is. You can have measures of success from different perspectives, but until you share and talk about those measures together so that you know you're working towards that same goal, you're not really talking about collective impacts. Continuous communication is, if you read the literature that talks about some of this stuff, you know, there, there's, there's an enormous amount of conversation that happens to, to define the common agenda, define the shared measures. So it's not something that happens at an annual conference. It's something where people get together repeatedly over and over and over to talk about things, understand different perspectives, understand how they're moving together in those perspectives. 
the mutual reinforcing activities part of that is not so much that everyone's doing the same thing. It's again that people are doing things that help address this common agenda. So an example of that would be that, say, we're doing a variety of different programs, and the programs, I'm talking sort of unique extension programs. Those extension programs don't have to be addressing exactly the same thing the same way all the time, but they need to have thought about what kinds of things they're going to assess. So that's that, that's that mutually reinforcing activity. We're assessing similar things that we can, also, we can attribute back to this common, uh, common agenda. And then the backbone organization just kind of goes to the idea that this collective culture that you've got to support this organization. You can't just throw this idea out there and it happen. It's, it's got to happen sort of systematically and the culture's got to be created to support how we move forward with this collective impact agenda. So that's, that's a grand vision with a lot of buzzwords, like I said. I, I think what I'd like to do is try to illustrate how I've done some of these things with my programming and, and, and then maybe how we could translate that into a broader uh, through agricultural programming in, in Nebraska. Before we get there though, the keys to success, um, these are the keys that I think that I would, I try to emulate or try to carry forward in my program and some of the things that I think I'd like to bring to this position. We have to focus on stakeholder needs. We can't just do the programs that we have done all the time or we think they need to know. Certainly there are things that we need to be out in front of, but we need to hear and listen to the stakeholders and see what, what they think they need. Building on existing strengths and leveraging opportunities. I'll show you a couple examples of how we've done that with my programs. Um, you know, certainly sometimes we have to create things out of whole cloth, but we certainly need to take advantage of things that we're doing well and leverage opportunities when, when we see them. Partnerships, we've done a, we work very hard in my programs to, to build partnerships. We, we, we don't operate in a vacuum with extension. We've got to look at others to help us uh, preach the gospel, so to speak. Uh, this culture of impact and assessment, that goes to what I was talking about earlier. Um, we've got to have that. That's just ingrained. We do that from the start. Uh, this transdisciplinary issue-based teams, again, that's the buzzword bullet on this slide. Uh, and then students and extension program delivery. That's something that we're trying to do at Virginia Tech. I know that you guys have extension assistantships here, and I think that's a great thing. Uh, but I think, I'm not sure how we grow our... Um, talent base if we don't involve people coming up in extension. Um, my experience, I, I was sort of exposed to extension, but I didn't really know it until I got in it. And then like most people that get in, it's like, oh my gosh, this is where I was supposed to be, right? We need to get people in that sooner, I think. And then I'm all big about telling stories, but you have to effectively tell the Nebraska extension story. That's, that's the bottom line. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. So I apologize, this is a little bit washed out, and it's kind of a busy slide, but, but this is one of my programs at Virginia Tech. It's this Watershed uh, Management and, and Plan Development Implementation Program. And I guess the point is, is, well, I'll just lead you through this real quick. So we developed these Watershed Management Plans. They're called, oops, excuse me, they're called TMDLs, Total Maximum Daily Loads, um, um, to address water quality impairments. And we do this at local scales. We, we work with local stakeholders developing these watershed management plans. Certainly it's driven by the Clean Water Act, it's driven by the state, but we work with local stakeholders to help learn about their watersheds and educate them about their watersheds and pollutant issues that they have in their watersheds to help improve their local water quality. And we do that by um, working with watershed models, essentially. So we we work with people to help us define that model, uh, come up and parameterize that model, understanding the pollutant sources. We, we use that to illustrate uh, what kinds of things that are going on in, in that watershed that we can, that, that the stakeholders can address through pollutant reduction. 
And then we come through and help them understand how they can reduce the pollutants so that you can go from a situation where you have an existing condition that may be violating a water quality standard to a, a condition where the pollutants are reduced so you're not violating that water quality standard, right? So that's all done on a modeling basis and that's a report and that's great. The key is to how do you implement and that, this is done through best management practices, right? Pollution control measures. And so the next part of this, which we're also engaged in, is working with local stakeholders to develop a plan that they can use to identify where practices need to go, how they need to be installed, and then, and then of course, we leave, leave, not literally, but we, we hand that plan over to local stakeholders so that they can make those changes in their, in their, um, in their watershed. So kind of the guiding concepts behind this, this was an existing stream. I was actually hired to do this job in Virginia. There was an existing strength in Virginia uh, from our department in watershed modeling, uh, but they didn't have that extension outreach component. That was my job when I came in. So we've built on an existing strength. We certainly leverage opportunities uh, through working with the state and local uh, governments. Uh, and, and frankly, we've been pretty successful in, in what we've done over time. So this working with local stakeholders is an important piece. Uh, I have a team that I work with, uh, uh, students, undergrad students, that team includes undergrad students, graduate students, postdocs, uh, a PhD research faculty, all that team works together to work on this, prog this, this project. And, and we, we all get out in the field working with local stakeholders. This happens to be a young woman that used to work for me, actually got a PhD at Cambridge. I had nothing to do with that except I wrote a reference letter. That's about as far as that went. But anyway, um, uh, so we all work with stakeholders in this role, you know, getting out, seeing what's going on in the watersheds. And then uh, talking about involving students, we do fee-based workshops. Not all extension programming should be fee-based workshops, but in this instance, we're delivering a very specific uh, skill and capacity to the state agency, and they're willing to pay for it. So we're going to use that and roll money back into our program to help do other things with that money. So that's what the fee-based workshop is here. This is actually uh, part of a, a lab in our building here, and this is my former PhD student who we've integrated into doing extension programming in developing these workshops. And the other thing, I guess the bottom line here, the logos on the bottom line are some of the partnerships that we work with, right? So uh, DEQ is our Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, that's uh, the Clean Water Act funnels through them. James River, the Soil Water Conservation District would be analogous to NRDs here in, in Nebraska. And then, excuse me, a citizen group, the Upper Roanoke River Roundtable, a local stakeholder group that we've partnered with to, to make this happen. So another, another program, another focus of my extension pro programming in Virginia is uh, the private water supply and care maintenance, or the, this Virginia Household Water Quality Program. And this is delivered primarily through county-based drinking water clinics, right? So we work with agents to develop their capacity to deliver these clinics. That's a, we do an in-service with agent trainings to get them up to speed. And then the clinic, sort of, sort of the arc of the clinic is, is that uh, participants, uh, we, we supply them with, with kits to collect their own water sample. They collect their own water sample. They bring it to the county, a central location. We do a transfer. We analyze the, the samples on campus. And then we take that analysis back to the counties in what we call an interpretation meeting, right? So typically what would happen in a situation like this, if someone was concerned about their uh, household water quality, they would contract with a lab. Uh, they, they'd submit a sample, they'd get an analysis report, and then they may or may not get some interpretation of those analysis, right? And that can be pretty confusing. M milligrams per liter, parts per million, we don't know what's, what's going on. So what we've done with this program is, is, is sort of 
add value to that analysis by doing this interpretation meeting. So we, each individual gets their, we protect data, certainly, but each individual gets their sample analysis report. We have an interpretation sheet that goes along with it, but through our network of agents, we've, they do a presentation with this interpretation meeting, right? And the way this was delivered previously, Dr. Hibbert and I were talking about this at breakfast, the, the specialist on campus would go out and do these clinics, you know, and, and, and the agent would call and say, hey, let's go do a clinic, and that's great. Well, you know, there's, that's a lot, that's crazy, especially just like every land-grant university, Blacksburg is in the lower left-hand corner of, of the lower right-hand corner, left-hand corner of Virginia, so it takes you a long time to get everywhere. So what we've done is push that out to the, to the county agents, right? So we've increased that capacity. Now we have this cadre of agents that we certainly support. We, we help them if they have questions. We help them when we push out the presentations they used. We use webinars to, to refreshers, those kinds of things. But now the agent, we call them agents in Virginia, the agent owns that program. Uh, and so they, they're seen as a resource that they can go to, and we certainly backstop them. So we've gone from, and this may be on the next slide, I apologize, but we've gone from doing probably 10 or 12 clinics a year to now we're doing half the state, so about 50 counties a year that we're working. So that's our goal is to, is to do, and, and you know, that varies by the number of agents that you have. We lose and gate agents all the time, but we're trying to do 50 counties a year essentially. And the, the partnerships, that, that's one thing I wanted to mention here as well, talking about these concepts. Uh, the Farm Bureau, again, Soil and Water Conservation Districts, we have USGS folks uh, come that, uh, that do part of our in-service trainings. We have, and, and most of these folks will show up at our, in, at our interpretation meetings as well. We have that kind of relationship. So not only is the agent seen as the authority or the expert, we have people who can also reinforce what uh, the agents are, are talking about in these interpretation meetings. So the program became in, uh, began in 1991, uh, just talking about sort of leveraging and building on strengths. The program was very strong, began in 1991. In 2000s, it was mothballed because of budget cuts. And in 2007, there was an opportunity for a USDA grant. And I had learned uh, about uh, this program uh, when I began at Virginia Tech, but I also learned about a, a complimentary program called the Master Wellner Network, which is analogous to Master Gardeners. Everyone knows about Master Gardeners. So I wrote a grant to USDA that said, let's combine these programs and, 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 and foster and build this new capacity in Virginia. I was able to hire a part-time program coordinator who we've since gone full-time uh, after we've proven our value uh, to the system with that. Uh, but, but that's how we leveraged something that was already there. Uh, research collaborations, we, we, we have research collaborations. Everyone's heard about the Flint lead issue now. We've had a research collaboration where we've done uh, lead analysis and, and lead incidents in private water supplies, and it's just as bad as Flint. <laughs> but uh, we can talk about that some other time. We're also doing work looking at arsenic, arsenic. And so we have a, a database of 20,000 or so data points. They're certainly, you know, they're, they're homeowner collected, so they're not, you know, pristine uh, research quality uh, sample. But we, they, they certainly have a use, and so we've leveraged that to piggyback some applied research on top of it. And then uh, we're partially supported by program fees. So again, this idea that we're using part of the revenue from our system to, uh, to support what we're doing. We have, uh, 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 excuse me, we do uh, uh, sample analysis videos. People can use it. And this is Aaron Ling, the program coordinator at an interpretation meeting, uh, talking with one of our clients. I, I, I know you can't read all the details on this, but, but the idea is to see the sense of how this program has grown since 2007. This, on the left here, 
we're showing um, uh, contacts, uh, volunteers trained, agency collaborators trained, that's in the green, the red is, is volunteers, and then the blue is, uh, is uh, agents, uh, and then the contacts are the lines. So we've, we've increased our contacts over time. That's certainly not a measure of impact, but that's certainly a measure of output. And then on the other side is uh, the annual samples and the total people that we've reached, right? So samples are how many samples, essentially how many households. That's analogous to how many households we reach. The number of people are how many people that would be consuming that water for a given sample. That's the number of people that we reach. So, so again, we, we, we think we're on a great trajectory to continue to grow the program. Impacts, impacts at the end of every clinic we do an intent to act survey, right? So there are certain actions that people, that we've identified if you have a certain issue with your water quality that you could or couldn't take, should or shouldn't take. So pump septic system, you can read across there, maintain the well, you know, so the idea, for example, if someone has a fecal coliform, has a coliform, total coliform hit in their well, then that would indicate that there may be uh, something going on with well integrity, right? So they don't have their well cap, maybe the grout, something, they have a crack casing, something like that. It may not necessarily be, it's not fecal contamination necessarily, but it's some issue that they have. So well maintenance, knowing what's going on with your well, those kinds of things. So, so we, we've had these, these, there are other actions, but these are the actions that, that we recommend people take. So we say, okay, you come out of this meeting, what do you think you're going to do? This is how they respond. Another USDA grant allowed us, which we piggybacked the research on, allowed us to come back a few years later uh, take a subset of people that had been in our clinics, randomize them, people who had issues, people who didn't have issues, and do a follow-up phone survey. And the survey showed that people are actually doing more than what they intended when they left the, the, uh, the meeting. So we think we're in traction, right? We're, right? we're telling people, do this. They're saying, yeah, probably, yeah, maybe, maybe, I'll do it. They go, holy, we're, we're going to do this. We're doing more of it than we had. So this is, this is the kind of impact that, uh, that we're collecting with that program. So just a couple other things that we're doing in Virginia. We're trying to, to work on uh, these issue-based transdisciplinary teams. I've been asked to co-lead one of those teams in Virginia. Um, one of the things that we're doing is trying to um, think about how we'd work together under this kind of collective impact idea. And I tried to illustrate with this mind map. And this is actually an exercise that we're trying to do, right? So, so the idea with this is that you have a topic. And the, the team could address multiple topics. But you identify a topic the team's going to work with. We've actually talked about water as one of the topics we're working with. And then we have different people on the team who are doing different programs, right? So a lot of times people use small p program. I'm not thrilled with that terminology, but, you know, like the House of Water Quality program would be a quote-unquote small p program in this instance, right? And then we have metrics that we're using to measure our success with, the, with that program, right? So the idea behind this is we, we've talked and we've met and, and, and talked some more. How can we look at the metrics that we're using for this program or that program or that program or that program? And how can, those, how can we maybe tweak those metrics a little bit to have these shared measures, right? So in other words, whenever we're doing, whenever, whoever's doing program one through four, they're going to assess impact associated with that particular program. But there may be also a piece of that impact assessment that can be attributed back across programs to that larger goal. So that's the collective impact part that I'm talking about. So that's a conversation that we're trying to have right now. Now, the punchline to this is, is that uh, uh, we're in the earliest stages of this. So a lot of times we wind up with this point down here where we're going, well, I don't know what's going, you know, we're done, we, but, 
But that's okay, because I think in our team, we, we at least I, this is my perspective, we trust each other enough that we can be stupid and ask stupid questions and, you know, figure out kind of where we each are and, and move together, move forward together. So. so another thing that I'm involved with, just to kind of illustrate some of the concepts that I, I, try, that I try to apply in, in my daily work, Chesapeake Bay, um, the watershed over there, six states in D.C. are all working together to try to address uh, nutrient sediment and phosphorus issues in the bay. Uh, there is a, there's quote-unquote a bay TMDL, which is actually 272 different TMDLs addressing, addressing nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment on, on 92 different uh, stream segments. And, and I had worked with, uh, uh, there used to be a, an old USDA program, it was called the 406 Water Program, it was a regional water program. And I know in this region you guys have continued to support that, but USDA in their wisdom pulled funding for that program years ago. And so we had built quite a network and we didn't want to lose that. So one of the things that we did was we said, well, how could we continue to work with the Bay program to help support Bay initiatives and continue our network of land-grant universities? And what grew out of that was this cooperative agreement with EPA and the Bay program that I'm leading, that, that we're coordinating with some of the other universities. Uh, and, and the bottom line of this, this uh, program is we manage a process where expert panels review literature and recommend pollutant control measure performance estimates that are used to model progress towards meeting the TMDL, right? So, so there's this grand model, and you have to somehow understand what kind of, how effective control measures are when you model the reduction in nitrogen, phosphorus, and sediment. And there's not enough research data to, to back up um, um, uh, these, these estimates with, with, I was gonna say hard science, that's not exactly what I mean, but, but the idea is to come through, and so we convene these panels across universities, across um, a variety of different disciplines to come through and address specific BMPs. So for example, um, uh, what's a good one? Uh, animal waste management measures, right? So there's a whole suite of animal waste, animal waste management measures that we're looking under this expert panel. So my job in this is to uh, develop the RFPs, manage all the contracts and subcontracts, and then I have a young man that works for me in Annapolis who's amazing at shepherding these expert panels, right? So we have a, a chair for the panel, um, and then the expert panels work together over a period of about a year, then they come up with this report. And then the other interesting thing about the Bay, I think I took this out of this, oh no, it's a, this partnership management model, which means that it's crazy with committees and you gotta answer to eight, you know, eight million different people. So part of this program is also shepherding these reports through this, this approval and vetting process that goes through. So it's been an interesting exercise in trying to balance all the interest in dealing with the personalities and perspectives that come in. Uh, but we're moving forward with that. And it's, it's quite a large project uh, to, uh, to uh, help uh, the Bay meet, meet its, its TMDO goals. And then the other thing associated with the Bay that I'm involved in is, is STAC. And STAC is a scientific and technical advisory committee that has 37 academicians academicians from across the different dis various disciplines. And the Bay program uses this and a couple other advisory committees to vet certain issues. And, and uh, so we deal with things that go from uh, oyster habitat to subaquatic uh, sub -aquatic vegetation to uh, watershed model issues and all that. So all those things are dealt with in, in Stack, and I was very fortunate enough to be invited in Stack. And then the recruited down there is kind of a joke. I, I'm vice chair of Stack now. And, 
I'll be chair in 2017, and I don't know if they thought I could do a good job, or they, I was just a sucker in the room that they get to. But anyway, it, it's, it's been a really interesting experience to be involved with that as well. So just to wrap up, the, you know, one of the things that come up that, that I would ask if I was in y'all's audiences, well, how do you achieve some of the things we've talked about? You know, my philosophy is, is servant leadership. I think that's what I've tried to do my entire career. I try to anticipate, look forward, what, what's, anticipate things, communicate. Uh, although I'm an engineer, I'm a big on communication and, and talking with people and, and, and getting different perspectives. Uh, you've got to, you've got to, that, that perspective issue, you've got to meet people where they are and try to move them forward. You've got to be persistent in anything you're going to do, uh, especially in a university system. And then patience goes along with that. And these are the things that I think you have to build to, to, um, um, to, to, to be able to execute these other things. You've got to have trust. You, you, it's, it's hard to build that, but it takes time, but, but that's one thing that you have to do. I talked about our team, our, our, our program team, you know, and, and my team. Uh, I, the example I give about trust is all of my students, you know, we go through their presentations when they're getting, to, getting ready to defend, and we all get together. You know, there may be six or eight or ten of us together, and it always starts, I say, you know, this isn't going to be pretty, but we do it because we love you, right? And so it turns out that, you know, if you're in an environment where people, you know, you know, that really sucks, or that's not really working, or I don't understand what you're saying. It could be where people get defensive and they don't want to, but, but in, 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 at least I like to think in the environment we've created, people go, no, yeah, I, I get it. That, that's what I was trying to say, but I'm not there yet. So and, uh, there's evidence that it works. Uh, actively listen, you know, what's going on, be responsive and humble. And I, I think kind of the bottom line for me as an administrator, and I try to do this even with my group, is help define where we're going to go. We want to empower the people I work with. I'm kind of a hands-off, day-to-day, I'm not a micromanaging kind of guy. If there are barriers, we try to get around them, you know, the, and then uh, I just get out of the way, let them do the work. Get in with pictures, right? So this is, uh, this is, if I was coming into this job, I think this is the way I would think about this job, right? It's going to be a heavy lift going up. You're going to have a lot, a lot of people are going to have to help you out. By the way, this is the definition of Nepali flat. We had this whole conversation. We, were, we were, had this great guy who was working with us. He goes, yeah, that's tomorrow. Yeah, today you hike 10 miles, and tomorrow it's going to be flat. Well, no, it's not. Not in Nepal. It's not flat. The other thing is, uh, I think you got to look at this thing in kind of a five-year time frame, right? You, there's going to be a while to, to get up to speed, then you sort of figure out and maybe contribute, not maybe, contribute to, to where you think, how things are going to turn in a couple of years to, to turn them that way and, and, and implement actions that, 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 are, that you're going to go forward, and then you assess it at the end of that period. My favorite picture on this slide, this one. It's an illustration of this whole process, right? You can, you can look at this a lot of different ways, right? You can look at it that <laughs> this is going to go off the rails. You can look at it that it's going to be a bumpy ride, right? And you could look at it that we're never going to, we can't turn around, right? Well, yeah, you could back up, but you're gonna, pretty much you're going to have to go forward with it. But one way to look at it is just kind of sit back and enjoy the view, which is kind of this, always look on the bright side of life, which I don't do every day, but we try to, try to. I have a, one of the people that work with me gave me this little glass and it has a line across it and it, you know, it's optimista and pessimista, right? So every day you have to think about that glass being, or of course the other day someone told me, well the glass isn't half full or half empty, it's refillable, so you can have it. And there are a lot of people that, that help you get where you are in life and 
These are some of the folks that have helped me. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bannon. So next we'll move to questions, and I just want to say for those of you who are watching from a distance, you can email those to me or you can do those right into the, the chat box that's on the web page where you're watching the live streaming. So we'll be watching the monitor for those as well. Questions from the room? And I'm much thinner in public too. That's Camera ads. Brian, what about the program caused people to take a greater level of commitment and activity and respond to the water quality issues than what they filled out in their end of conference survey. That's interesting to me how that continued yeah, to grow. That's a great question. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I can tell you exactly the why. You know, I think I think what we need to do is is uh, I can speculate, but I think what we need to do is is do this again as we move forward and, and and, and add different questions. So the way this did, and I did a bunch of these phone calls, which was amazing, by the way. It's great to call people up and, you know, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, it's kind of like hold home week, right? But um, the questions that we asked in this particular survey was just what did you do? We didn't necessarily get into the why did you do it, right? So I think that's another, I, I think, well, I'd like to think that people get in there and, and once they've, you know, some people we have that have never tested their water before, right? So it's just that, that increase in awareness. It's just it's sort of this entry into the awareness. It's like, oh, I need to take care of this. And so, yeah, maybe they hadn't thought about pumping their septic system when they left, but you know, they did something else and then they were talking to a neighbor or whatever. You know, it, it, that's about as fine as I can get on it right now. Yeah. Thanks, Brian, for those comments. Although I may have some nightmares thinking about driving that Jeep off the mountain. Um, so your your career has been one is one of integrated research and extension. Yes, sir. And you'll certainly find here a great appreciation for an emphasis on the importance of integrated research and extension to to deliver impact from research. Um, when I think about and you referred to a couple of times partner partnerships with the private sector. When I think about some of the changes in technology that are occurring, for example, in precision agriculture, there seems to be new opportunities to collaborate directly with the private sector in delivering uh, research impacts. And that could be with private companies or with producers in that case. So would you talk a little bit about how you see that aspect of uh, having impact and how extension fits in? Yeah, the, the, I don't run in precision ag circles right now, so I'm not exactly sure I can speak exactly to how. But I, I mean, the way we've done, I'll give you an example maybe to illustrate. So um, our household water quality program, right? We, we work very closely with well drillers. Um, um, and we've had to rebuild that relationship over time the, the, where the perception was there for a while that we were saying, well, you know, there's something wrong with the groundwater and, you know, and, and people whose job is to help bring groundwater to light, they didn't like that. So, so we, we've, we've built that relationship. So um, I think building relationships that you have with industry is important and, and showing that mutual benefit and that can happen in a lot of different ways. But one specific thing that we've done is we realized that we didn't, we weren't closing the loop on certain things, right? So 
In other words, we'd come in and we'd say, okay, you have an issue with your will, but we weren't very good at saying this is how to correct. We could certainly talk about you need treatment and you need this, that kind of thing, but we weren't very good about connecting people that could do that specifically, right? Of course, one of the things in extension, we don't want to be a champion of one vendor necessarily over another, but the way we've addressed that is working with the entire industry through, this, through uh, the uh, Virginia Water Well Association. We've developed a program called WellCheck, and WellCheck is a, is a situation where um, drillers using the kinds of information that we provide, we generate, and the kinds of things that we think people ought to check relative to how their wells are performing and integrity and those kinds of things, um, we've essentially solicited from the drillers a, a kind of a licensing fee to use this well check program. And then we've, we've got their agreement that they'll perform the service for a, a flat fee across the state, a flat fee. And then that enables that uh, driller to develop their clientele further, right? We don't do anything beyond that. We don't say, well, you're going to do this, you're going to take that particular action beyond that. But we've worked with the industry to develop an entree way where we can get our information out and that can help them promote their business. So that's not exactly what you're asking about relative to Precision Ag, because frankly, I don't know where Precision Ag is. But that's the kind of concept that we've done that I think you could translate. Yeah. Yes, sir. At Virginia Tech, you talk about transdisciplinary teams. Uh, did you run into issues with people, uh, faculty and departments not getting credit for that, and how did you work through that? How, how do people report their individual effort in a transdisciplinary team, and is that recognized at the department level? Did, did you see the confused sign, Bob? Yeah, so, no. I've worked with Bob. He knows I'm kidding, so. Um, that's an issue, right? And, and one of the things, in fact, one of the things we're talking about now is, so is it part of your citizenship? to be a part of a, a team leader or be a part of a team, uh, or is, it, is there some premium that ought to be associated with that, some, however that's recognized. Right? That's not exactly reporting up through, we call it EFARS, reporting up through our impact reporting system. But one of the things that I think, one of the ways to look at that, I guess, is that we're not saying that we're not doing the same programs we always did, right? We, we may change some of the programs that we did, so the, I, we're doing those programs, and we're reporting against those programs, and that's what we need to be doing. We just need to look at it from a different perspective to see how those programs can, can dovetail with other programs. And that's, I mean, that's time, and that takes effort, but I'm not sure that that's something that we shouldn't already be doing, right? So you don't get in, I don't think you're in this issue where, where you're doing something you're not getting credit for. I mean, the greater good's going to build anyway, so I, I, that's kind of the perspective I have on that. So we're not taking people away from doing what they, should, what, they, what they wish to do and what they want to do. We still have, I don't like this terminology, but we still have silos, but we're seeing how those silos fit together. But there is an issue about contributing to the broader team and, and how that's accounted for. That's, that exists. Hi. So you, you, you referenced the, uh, the water quality issues in Flint, Michigan. And I'm curious about your thoughts on the role of of uh, how extension can can address issues like that and the balance of being proactive versus reactive when something like that arises yeah frankly I'm not sure how you address that in 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 that Flint story you know that's because that's 
typically not an issue that or an audience that we would be dealing with. How we've done it in our in our program, our household water quality, is that um, it was sort of reactive in a way, right? I mean, we had a student who was interested in working in in heavy metals, and they were also interested in extension. And for for years, our program didn't deal anything with lead. We, a, we didn't have the capacity to do the analysis the way it needed to be done. But we, we, we leveraged that through another lab on campus, actually the same lab of the faculty member that's working in, in Flint. And so we just saw an opportunity, right? So the opportunity was working with a student, working with heavy metals. Uh, and so we've identified this issue in, in private water supplies. And we think the issues are coming from, because most of us don't have lead pipes like is the issue in Flint, right? Whether you've had this corrosion problem. We think the issues in private water supplies are coming from the fact that, uh, again, it's, it's a corrosion issue, corrosion issue. If you have low pH water, um, you typically don't have an acid neutralizer or something like that on your private system. So where's the lead coming from? It's probably coming from low lead brass fixtures that are legal, right? I mean, you have a brass fixture, but they still have lead in them as a, as a part of the, the mixture that comes in. So how are we addressing that through extension? Well, we, we've We've used some of that data and that research to help better focus our message on how we deal with folks that may have that issue, right? So we've talked about flush times when you get up in the morning if you have low pH water. We've used that also to say, look, you need to know at least some basic chemistry about your water so that you can make an informed decision on whether you need to flush or need to. So we've, we've leveraged it those kinds of ways. And then we've also leveraged it through working with another partner, um, the Southeast Rural Community Assistance Program, which helps uh, bring resources to low-income folks that may not be able to address issues. So there's a variety of different ways we're trying to get the, the word out there to, to to leverage what we've learned from our system. I'm not sure I answered your question or not. But. Okay. So I'll stop talking. I thought you did a nice job of showing the example of, of output and impact in, in one of the programs you've been heavily involved with. Um, as we think about scaling that up, so if you think about a multitude of issues with uh, several um, programs underneath each issue, how, how do you think about impact reporting from uh, uh, an issue-centric uh, uh, impact reporting, um, maybe a, a discipline impact reporting, and then overall extension impact reporting? So mechanically, um, how might that work such that you end up with something you can give to clientele that, that there's a wow factor and I believe that? Right. <clears throat> so I think, I think you need technology help to do that, right? I mean, one of the things that, um, there, are, there are a couple of different systems that I know, I'm sure there are more than that, but a couple of different systems that I know about that are out there for extension now where, where you sort of centralize the idea of of collecting impacts, right? So in other words, you, you, you have this, at the end of a program, you have this questionnaire, or however you're collecting impacts, right? And, and that's reported up centrally. And so you can have all these programs collecting those different impacts. Um, and some of them are unique to that specific, specific program, but some of those impacts are shared across programs. And so the idea, I think, of what your, the way I interpret your question anyway, of getting that bigger picture is, is that by using that technology help, you can go in and query that for those larger impacts. So I'm, I'm not talking, what I'm talking about is you're a, 
beef or your animal science here, right? So, so I'm not talking about, again, I could get this wrong, but I'm talking about, you know, feed conversion or something like that, right? I'm talking about how, what I'm talking about is, for example, if the issue is water, how does beef production in this situation with the particular program you're giving impact the greater water resources in Nebraska, right? So maybe you have one or two questions that would, that would, that would focus on that, and, and that has been thought through enough so that when I'm talking about irrigation and that, you know, somehow, and again, see, this is where you have the signpost where you're confused and all that. I, you, I don't know how to do this exactly, but I think we could get there. But you, you have those two or three impacts so that, that somebody working for Dr. Hibbard can collect this and say, in Nebraska, we've, you know, we've impacted water resources in, on the $8 billion level, what happens to be, or in the Eastern, or wherever, in the Panhandle. So again, that's sort of nebulous, but that, that's kind of where you have to go to. And I think we have to, I think it's this idea of having these, I, I, I don't think it's that hard. It's not easy to be sure, but I don't think it's that hard once you get people in the room thinking about their different disciplines and, 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 and thinking about different perspectives on how they impact that common issue. But I think you need to have somebody in the room also who can step back and can ask questions who's not in any one of the disciplines, right? Who can think and say, well, uh, I thought I heard this over here. I thought I heard. So facilitators is one way to do that, but there are you know, other avenues to do that. So the idea, I'm droning on here, but the idea is to, is to collect those few pieces of information because Dr. Hibbert doesn't need to tell the story of you know, feed conversion. He needs to tell the story of how we're saving every head of beef in the state every year. I know that's not true, but you know, that kind of thing, right? That's, that's, the picture, that's the picture he needs to tell. And that's the kind of what I'm talking about at the collective impact level. Uh, so you mentioned a partnership you all had for your household water quality with um, a lower in, to serve lower income families. Uh -huh. um, how well do you think your program does serve lower income, different ethnicities, maybe not primarily English speakers? Yeah, not very well. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up. No, <laughs> no we, uh, we, we've done some demographic, and, and really the, the people that, are, that we're reaching so far, and we've, we've tried different ways, and I can talk about those if you want to, are middle-aged white people who have enough time and money to think about it, right? So um, one of the ways that we've tried to reach out is we've looked to different grants uh, to subsidize. So I didn't, maybe I didn't say that. Our sample is $50 for 14 constituents, right? So it's comparatively cheap. We have to, we have to balance that with arguments from private water, from private labs that say, well, you're undercutting us. And our argument there is, no, we're not undercutting you. We're actually building a clientele for you, right? We're, 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 we're an entree for this system. And then we, we're not doing this every year. We, we'd love to do repeat customers, but that's not what we want to, that's not our base, right? So to get to your point is um, we've looked for opportunities to find money to help subsidize the cost. And we've also, so we can do that. So let's say it's not $50, it's $5. We've done that, right? But the other thing we realize is that some of the, some of the ways that we get out with extension aren't getting to those communities. So we've gone through churches. Uh, we've, we've, this Southeast Rural Community Assistance that I've talked about, you know, um, in southern Appalachia, up in the hills, you know, you may not get to. So church, we, we, we've, we've tried to look at different avenues to get out. Uh, SNAP-Ed, um, you know, a variety of different 
So we're not doing a great job yet, but we're, we're focused on it. We're getting better. The other thing that we're trying to do, the other thing that we are doing is bringing a more, more of a youth component in. So the idea is that we do youth programming. We, we've done some programs where we get 4-H'ers involved in interpretation meetings. But if we can get the kids in, we're going we're gonna to get the, the parents in. Um, so figuring out, it's about removing barriers, basically, is what, yeah. So. the online system, and here's the question. In our deficit water areas, some well drillers have had success drilling bucket wells, 28, 28 inches diameter, 60 feet deep, screened in the bottom 30 feet, yield two to three gallons a minute, have had a challenge in getting the bacteria count to zero after installation. Any ideas? Here's your technical part for you. Do you really know what you're talking about? Uh, sure, no. Yeah, so, so a well like that, we call them board wells, is really a spring, right? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's a well, but it's not really a well. So the only way you're going to do that is post-treatment. So a UV light system is the only way you're really going to, that's not the only way, but that's the way to do it. So, um, so you're never going to make that well pristine. So you take what you have, you probably need a sediment filter on it as well, put those systems in the house, and then you'll, that's the way we recommend people address those kinds of things. We have a lot of board wells in Virginia, we have a lot of springs in Virginia, and that's just the way you have to address them. Now you pass the knowledge test. Thanks. See, there you go, softball. So you outlined your objective and vision for this position and why you're looking at this position. Can you speak on what you feel the greatest challenge or challenges we're facing in extension and how do we overcome those challenges? Well, I mean, not to be all apocalyptic and all that, but I think extension faces this existential challenge, right? I mean, and that's not, maybe that's different in different states, but I, that challenge comes from the fact that there is this proliferation of information out there. Um, and, you know, we've always held this that, you know, our, our wheelhouse is uh, unbiased, you know, science research information that we deliver based on the needs of the client. Yeah, but I mean, people can get information in a lot of different ways now. So I think, I think the challenge that we're facing is being relevant in the, the information age and still delivering that quality information. And I think to do that, we've got to partner with, or, or, or somehow, exploit's not exactly the right word, but it's all, that's all I can think. You've got to exploit other, other folks that are doing the same kind of thing, right? The, the same kind of information delivery, but we've got to define that unique place that, that Extension maintains, which still is science-based, unbiased information. We've just got to figure out how to get and it's way more complicated than this, but you've got to figure out how to get it in the hands of people that need it real time the way they need it because they're getting all kinds of information real time the way they need it, but it may not be the kind of information that we want them to have, right? Is that, so I think that's the big challenge, I think. And I think doing some of these things we talked about, about working on problems and all these things help make us more relevant, but I think there's still some fixes to the, Fixes is probably not the right word. There's some opportunities that we need to explicitly um, 
take advantage of, identify and take advantage of that, that we are seeing again as this premier education um, enterprise. Wow, yeah, that's, that, was, that was totally buzzword. <laughs> Other questions? So Brian, uh, you've been an extension specialist. What's the role, or has the roles, role of extension specialists and extension educators or agents changed over time, or what's your vision for it? Yeah, I think, I think it has changed. Um, from a specialist perspective, you know, I, I think it's, I think, well, my, just my perspective, my, my job has changed in that um, I'm much more of a, of a facilitator now, a facilitator of, of you know, information exchange and, and, and building teams to work together. Um, so you have to have that kind of technical grounding, I think, to make that happen. But I, I'm not as, and I never was the greatest researcher in the world, but I, I'm not as much a researcher as, as as maybe I was in the, me personally in the past. I think there are opportunities though where, so this is one of my gripes about the land grant system since we're getting, take our coat off and get cut away. Anyway, is, that, is that it seems like the system doesn't do a very good job of allowing people to excel where they, where they can, right? In other words, in the past, you've kind of had to fit in, you know, 75, 25, or 50, 50, right? Well, I, I kind of get that from a, I've never dealt with budget. I mean, I've dealt with all kinds of budgets, but I've never dealt with budgets at that level, you know, where you have to accountability. But the system ought to be able to say, you are an amazing researcher, or you're an amazing educator, you're an amazing, how can we leverage that for the greater good, right? And I think you can do that with educators as well, right? If you have an educator who is, who is just totally jacked about, you know, working on on-farm research and those kinds of things, and that, and you can put them in that spot to make that happen. Then you ought to do that, and then someone else can be involved in, in certainly being grounded in that research, but helping extend that information. So, so I, I think sort of specializing in in exploiting people's strengths is the way I would like things to change. Now, can that happen? I'm not exactly sure, but I think some of the things you guys are doing to help move educators where they're more focused on subject matter, I think that's an amazing thing because the little bit that I know, I've never been an extension educator, but the little bit that I know about the generalist model of educators is they're spread way too thin to really have effective impact, right? I mean, they have, they certainly report it. I don't mean that, that sounded bad. They, they certainly have impact, but I think the impact can be more effective if we could help specialize that way. And so so my, I guess my short answer after all this time is if you can specialize to achieve the greater good, that's the way I think, that's what I think in the, my Pollyannish world would be a great thing to have happen. Other questions? Brian, thank you for your comments. Appreciate your perspectives very much. One of the things that really struck me was the, the impressive list of partners that you've been able to engage in your work. And so I'm just curious, when you go out to find a partner, when you seek collaboration, what are you looking for? What do you expect? What, what are you trying to accomplish with that partnership? Yeah, so 
so I guess I think about a partnership more about initially what we can do for them more than what they can do for us. Um, what I want to accomplish with the, the partnership is um, I'd like to be able to, to say that at the end that that partner has helped us get the information that we think is valuable out and that we've helped them achieve the objectives that they've defined for their organization, right? So I'll give you an example, right? Um, the example is, uh, say, Department of Environmental Quality, and, and we work with them on both programs that I had, but the, the, the water management program is, is maybe more, uh, more applicable to what I'm talking about. So DEQ needed help to uh, develop these watershed management plans, right? And so we, they, in that instance, they came to us, but we said, well, what can we do for you guys to help increase, to, to help meet the needs of the state, right? So we're getting what, I'm getting what I want out of the partnership. We're getting, I'm getting funding for the people that work with me. I'm getting funding for grad students, applied research projects. But we're also with the training that we're doing uh, for, and, and, and some of the research that we're doing to help improve the way the models are done to, um, to achieve the TMDLs, we're helping the state increase the capacity to achieve their goals of counting the beans to getting these TMDLs done, right? So in that, in that instance, the partnership is, is, you know, I needed something from them, funding. They needed something from us, helping with the contractors to achieve it. So that's what I look for in kind of in all the partnerships. And I mean, it's, you know, it's nuanced in each partnership. We're, we're not... I, I, you know, we're not doing anything to help the USGS solve the problems in Virginia, but the USGS helps us answer any number of questions that we have about specific aquifers or helps us with our in-service training. So in that case, I'd say I'm part of the lesser partner with the USGS, but they keep coming back, and so I think they see a partnership there. So. Any other questions? Well, seeing none, we would like to thank Dr. Benham for his thank comments you. this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. For those of you in the room and watching remotely, there is a feedback form on the website. Please fill out the comments on that and get them back to us. And we appreciate your participation this morning and throughout the rest of the two days. And we're glad that Dr. Benham is here for the next two days. Have a great one.